Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. And in our last message, we'll get to the passage here in just a moment, but our last message, we heard how Paul encouraged us to live a life such that your conduct is worthy of the gospel. How many know we need to live a life where our actions, our, even our thoughts and our words are worthy of the gospel, the good news of Christ? Specifically, though, to take a unified stand in presenting the gospel. Paul really talked about unity. Now, if you take a hard look at the universal church, the church as a whole, no matter what denomination, those who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, you take a look at the universal church today, it will reveal that there's room for improvement in that area. Come on. I mean, there is room for improvement when it comes to unity and bringing a unified gospel to the world. Come on. We, we, we have to make some improvement. Helen Keller, an author, many of you know, have heard of her. She once said, alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. And that is true when it comes to presenting the gospel. I mean, when we present a fragmented gospel, one that has our own feelings and our own interpretations, uh, not only is it not good, but it's confusing to the world. And of course, they're going to reject that gospel when we do that. So presenting a unified gospel is the most effective way of presenting the gospel. And Paul said that, that conduct is worthy of the gospel. We need to make sure that our conduct is worthy of the gospel. So you see how we have to intertwine. We were also encouraged uh, in the fact that God can use our afflictions to further the gospel and make his name great. Now, let me say this to you. This doesn't mean that we need to look for afflictions. Come on, somebody. We don't need to look for afflictions, all right? Uh, we don't need to say that, oh, because I have an afflicted life, you know, God is glorified, so I need to be more afflicted. You don't have to look to be afflicted. I mean, it's just, <laughs> right? Jesus provided a path for us to live an abundant life if we speak and live his word in faith. That is the key. But we know that living a life for God, tribulations will come. Remember Jesus said in John 16, 3, in this world you will. He didn't say you might. He didn't say maybe if you don't act right. No, you will have tribulation. He said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So you will have tribulation, but if you are in me, then you also have already overcome. What does that mean? It means that we are overcomers. We are overcomers. Because you have an enemy that doesn't want you to live that kind of life or even to know. Here's the key. He doesn't even want you to have the knowledge that you can live an abundant life. In fact, you already have an abundant life. We just want to walk in it. 
It's already provided for us, but your enemy doesn't want you to have that knowledge. And that's why he's bringing afflictions to you. But rather, Paul is saying here that everything your enemy brings against you, come on, God can use for his glory. And with that, we should live thankful lives. We should live thankful lives. Don't, don't live a life that's thankful that you have tribulation, but live a life where you're thankful that you are an overcomer. You overcome tribulations. I, I don't glory in the fact that I have tribulations. See, there are those who uh, want to abase themselves and they, you know, and they think by doing that, it brings me closer to God. That doesn't bring you closer to God. But the fact that you glory that you are an overcomer and you glory in his glory, and, and that's what brings you closer to God. Come on. 1 John 5, 4 says this. It says, for whatever, whoever is born of God, it says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. But now listen to this. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Exactly. Our faith is the victory that has overcome the world, not your being abased. That's not what overcomes the world. That's going to happen. People are going to come against you. The enemy's going to come against you. You don't have to look for it. It's going to happen. You live a life for Christ. Listen, afflictions will come. Jesus promised that. But what is our victory? It is our faith. It is our faith. And Paul gets this through to us. Now, the theme... The theme of Philippians is, it is the joy of the Christian life and service. Listen, the joy, the joy of the Christian life and service manifested under all circumstances. It doesn't matter what comes my way, whether uh, it's a sunny day outside, whether everything is going well, whether I have money in the bank and all of my relationships are tight. Or whether everything is falling apart around me. There's storms, uh, money's not good, my boss doesn't like me. Whatever's happening, it doesn't matter. I'm going to have joy in the Christian life. It's going to manifest in me no matter the circumstances. It just doesn't matter. And that's what Paul is getting through to us here. Now, a little more background. Every week, I just want to give you a little bit more background on the epistle. And this week, I just want to give you a few things, a little insight to Paul and his life, kind of who he was, just a few points. So maybe you'll kind of understand where he's coming from when he says all these things. Paul was Jewish. He was born in Tarsus. Some of you may know that. That's near the Lebanese border in modern Turkey. All right. Paul was a Roman citizen, but he was Jewish. He was prominent. He was highly educated. He was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee, really, on track, right, to be that at one time before God dramatically changed him. See Acts chapter 9, right? Uh, he was a primary apostle to the Gentiles, okay? He, he was a tireless missionary, tireless. He dedicated his life to it. He was imprisoned in Rome during the reign of Nero, and he died in prison, okay, in about 68 AD. So he dedicated his life to this thing. That's just a little insight into who Paul was. A side note for me, I was thinking about this the other day is I've, for me in my circles, um, 
I've heard a lot about the book of Hebrews and how we don't know who wrote it. Uh, but one of the things I've always heard is that Paul couldn't have wrote Hebrews. And I always thought, why do people say he couldn't have wrote it? I mean, there's no proof that he did, so I'm not saying he did write it. Uh, but one of the things I get is that it's too Jewish. Uh, you know, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. But one thing I noticed is Paul is Jewish. He's Jewish. <laughs> I think sometimes we just throw things in there and we assume a lot of things without much prayer and revelation. Come on. So as we listen to this second chapter of Philippians, be open. Open your mind to what Paul, what Christ is real, the Holy Spirit is really telling us through this apostle. Amen. And allow him to change you. Verse 5, I'm going to read verse 5 all the way down to verse 18. So strap in, get ready. I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you have a different version, we'll get to the same place together. Amen. Verse 5 says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even, not just death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice in me. Rejoice with me. You know, there is a power in humility. There is a power in humility. We read here that Christ humbled himself. Often those we admire, we find that it is very difficult to separate in them pride and arrogance from confidence. There's a, there's a blurred line as you look in this social media era, in this media era, and you look at champions, and you look at uh, those that we, we look up to, even in our families and in our communities, there's a blurred line between pride and arrogance 
and confidence. That line is blurred. And what seems to be poise and conviction is really a form of pride in many cases. Come on. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, pride is the mother hen under which all sins are hatched. Pride is the mother hen under which all sins are hatched. <laughs> He's saying that he believes that every sin comes back to pride. If you really look at it. Wow. Pride. Pride. <laughs> Paul shows us that Christ gave us the ultimate example of humility. Here in chapter 2, Paul admonishes the Philippian Christians, as he does us, to live unselfishly as Jesus did, who gave up trying to advance himself. Instead, he lived to help others. When he humbled himself, God highly exalted him. And he will do the same with you. To get high and as high as you can go, you have to humble yourself as much as you can. You see, what we have to realize about Christ is he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. This example of Christ who, though he was on equality with God, emptied himself of his glory. He stripped himself of his power and he humbled himself even to the death of the cross for others. The creator of the universe, the creator of galaxies and stars and planets and atmosphere and amoeba and all sorts of things. The creator of animals and the creator of you and I humbled himself to the point where the creator submitted himself to his own creation that he might save them and bring them back to him. Now if that isn't the ultimate example of humility, I don't know what is. I don't know what can show us a more perfect example of humility. And so we say, yes, amen, amen, brother Mike. Christ was humble. Christ, that was the ultimate example of humility. And I just love that Christ did that for me. It brings tears to my eyes. It makes me emotional. I can't believe that a God of the universe would do that for me. And I would say to you, it is amazing. But let me add to that. Guess what? He expects the same from you. Oh, now. A little different now. Wait a minute. I'm not God. I, I, I didn't create the universe. I didn't do all of those things. The apostle here in chapter 2 gives us a, a threefold exhortation. He exhorts us to persevere in the faith. He exhorts us to be obedient. And later in this chapter, he exhorts us to love missionary activity. All of those things are giving of yourself. Giving of yourself. But for us, even though we can amen Paul's exhortation here on humility, I believe that because we may not sometimes have a clear and succinct and precise revelation of exactly what he's requiring of us, we find it difficult to raise our standard of humility to that of Christ. It's because we, we really don't have a revelation of what he's asking of us. 
I mean, there are those who would say, yes, I understand you want me to be humble and I can do that. But in certain instances, you know, my version of humility is I don't want people to run me over. I don't want to be a placemat. We throw all of those things in there. And by the way, God never called you to be that. But we throw that in there as an excuse not to be humble. But Christ was all of those things. I mean, they spat on him. They pulled his beard out. I don't have to tell you about his journey to the cross. Now, he did that so we wouldn't have to go through that death. But there will be some humility if you follow Christ. There will be those who talk about you. You may not get that done to you physically, though there are those in the world who do experience that. But you certainly will experience some mental anguish. You certainly will experience people talking about you. People giving you the opposite of favor. (laughs) Come on. You will experience that in life. And can you walk through that with humility? It's what he's asking us to do. But we just don't have that revelation. Came across this story of a man named Harry Ironside. Yeah, Ironside. Just like the old show. Some of the young people don't know, but us old folks remember Ironside. This guy was a well-known preacher. He was an author from a previous generation. But he used to tell the story of his struggle with humility. He asked an elder friend what he could do about it. What can I do to deal with this humility, this lack thereof? His friend counseled him to make a sandwich board. Now, some of, again, young people, you don't know what that is. But uh, it used to be before social media and before media, really, uh, one of the ways you could advertise is to have a board and you would, you would have a front and a back and you'd put it over your head and walk through the neighborhood and there's an advertisement on it. Eat at Joe's. So everybody could see it, right? So his friend counseled him to make a sandwich board with the plan of salvation in scripture on it and wear it as he walked throughout the business and shopping district of downtown Chicago. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to downtown Chicago, but some people are not very nice in downtown Chicago. I can't speak for everybody in Chicago. There's a lot of nice people in Chicago. Cheryl came from Chicago. If everybody could be like Cheryl, Chicago would be great. But you're walking through a busy city for an entire day with this plan of salvation on it. Ironside did it, and he found it to be a humiliating experience in some ways. As he was taking the sandwich board off, however, he caught himself thinking this. You know, there's not another person in Chicago that would be willing to do a thing like this. So he struggled with humility. He was humble all the way to the end. And see, that didn't seem unreasonable, does it? But it's the opposite of humility. There's nobody that would do this. I'm the only one that would do this. He struggled with humility. Humility is a difficult thing. Just at the moment you think you have it, seems like you lose it sometimes. Humility is essential to successful relationships. It is the oil that makes the intersecting gears of human personality turn without grinding on each other. Humility. We need humility. We have to have humility. We must have it. See, love and humility 
go together. You can't live life without humility and you can't have one without the other. Dr. Martin Luther King once said, love is the only force in the universe powerful enough to change an enemy into a friend. But it takes humility to have that kind of love. Augustine concluded that one loving heart sets another on fire. Benjamin Disraeli saw that we all are born for love. It is the principle of existence and its only end. We're born for it. But we struggle with humility. The power of love and humility is the message of Philippians chapter 2. Here we learn that whenever people love humbly and unselfishly, especially, especially in the midst of strained relationships. Come on. I'm talking to you this morning. Especially in the midst of strained relationships. We haven't even got to the point where the uppercut's coming yet. Especially in that they promote unity and spread joy. This church in Philippi needed this message. We we're going to see later where there were two women disagreeing, coming to blows. Some of you have read that. Here in Philippians 2, Paul shares the attitudes and actions that will restore peace in any situation, any situation, and any strained relationship. We need this counsel for keeping the peace. There are always challenges, always challenges in our relationships. And as we look at this chapter, we learn that from the Apostle Paul, we learn how to unify relationships by humbling ourselves and looking out for the interests of others. Paul commands us to do that. In fact, he takes his command from the Holy Spirit and he commands us to do that, to put others before yourself. Jesus here is the ultimate example. And his example of humility, it challenges you and I. It challenges Christians to live a life of unselfishness. Not do an unselfish act. It's not what I'm talking about. Just doing one unselfish act so that others can say, wow, that person is really unselfish. No, I'm talking about living a life with a changed heart. Living a life of unselfishness selfishness and unity we know that it's not an easy thing to be humble but let me make it even more difficult for you <laughs> and when I say that I'm saying I'm making it more difficult for your flesh the real you the real you if you really search the real you loves this the real you loves to be humble because the real you communes with the Holy Spirit your real spirit that God, when he blew the breath of life in you, you it, your, your spirit has all the answers. We just got to get it to this thing. We just got to get it to this thing. In fact, turn here with me, 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to just see this for yourself. If you have your Bible, if you have your device, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's look at this. Let's see how... God's going to give us a combination. If you're a boxer, you know what that is, a combination. That's three or four punches in a row. <laughs> three or four punches in a row is a combination. Let's see what we can do with this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Look at what he says here. Please, please, please look at this. And please take this to heart. Peter said, servants, 
Be submissive to your masters with all fear. That means reverence. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. The King James says froward. Even to the harsh, be submissive to them. He says, for this is commendable if, if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Let me say that again. Suffering wrongfully. He said, this is commendable. This is commendable. <laughs> wow. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, King James says buffeted, you take it patiently. If I did something wrong and you get on to me about it, yes, you're right, I'll take it patiently. Well, yeah, you should, you was wrong. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this, listen, please listen to this. For to this you were called. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, no deceit, guile, guilt was found in his mouth who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now, I know most of you have read that passage before, but I want to tell you that that is a power-packed passage on humility. On humility. And it's not about being a placemat. This is, not, this is not about being a doormat. I mean, yes, all of that is true. You serve the Lion of Judah. You are an overcomer. You're not a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. But it takes humility to be a conqueror. That's what we don't understand. It takes humility to be a conqueror. Paul proceeds to give examples for the Philippians to emulate. The first is Christ. He is the supreme example of humility, love, and selflessness. His model brings to life Paul's words, Christ's model. As a believer, we are united with Christ, and we are to have the same attitude as Christ, one of humility. Paul expresses the same thought over in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. All believers should share this humble, selfless mindset of Christ. And what hits me, especially about the passage in Peter, is that when you are right, and you know you're right, and the person you're arguing with knows you're right, and everybody around that hears your argument knows you're right, and Google knows you're right, your kids know you're right. People before you support the fact that you're right. You still apologize and say, I don't have to be right. I don't think that I'm telling you because I got it together. I'm talking to myself. Come on, somebody. But this is the standard. 
This is, I'm not, this is Peter. This is the Holy Spirit through Peter and Paul telling us that we have to humble ourselves in the same way that Christ did. No, we're not going to go to the cross. No, we may not get spat upon and all of those things, but you must humble yourself. Listen, some, I, I remember growing up and I remember uh, my wife's dad was the same way. My dad was really not a big time spanker. It took a lot to get him to spank. My mother, well, that was a different story. She just grabbed something and smacked you upside the head. But my dad would sit you down and start talking to you about consequences. And he started talking to you. And your dad was the same way because he talked to me when I was grown. I was 32 years old and he was talking to me about consequences in the driveway. Give me a history lesson on cause and effect. She, he would talk to me so much. And it got to one point, I was like, please just whip me. I know I'm 32, but here's my belt. Please just, please <laughs> get it over with. Come on, help me <laughs> in this way. <laughs> and so we're that way. We're that way. We'd like to just get it over with. Just get it over with. But we must endure. We must endure. I'll just say this about sacrificial love. God has created us to be sociable creatures. He really did. You've heard the mantra, no man is an island, no one is an island unto themselves. You're not. You can try to be, but you weren't created that way. You'll be miserable. You weren't created to be that. We need each other because we are created as social beings. God made us so that we cannot make it alone. We cannot make it alone. We must have relationships and interactions with other people. We must have contact with others. This need is because we are created in the image of God and God is a gregarious being. That means that he is a being that wants relationship. That's why he created you and I because he wants relationship with us. He doesn't want puppets. Why do we have free will? Because he didn't want a puppet. He wants relationship. And the only way a relationship works is if we both have free will and we choose to humble ourselves to each other. Because God has created us with this way, he established humanity. So we, we must, we must talk. We must interact. We must do all of those things. And with that, we must, we must, we must forgive. And we must, when we are right, be humble. When we are right, be humble. I'm not talking about when you did something wrong. That's good. You need to do that too. But he said that's not that's just what you're supposed to do. Great. Good for you. But when you're right, I hope that hits home with you. I hope that hits home. It does with me. Because I know I'm the type of person that when I'm right, I, it's, it's hard to back down. Why can't you see what I see? How come you can't understand that I'm right? I'm right. She's saying I'm right. That person over there is saying I'm right. The internet says I'm right. Everybody says I'm right except you. You got a problem. What's your problem? <laughs> it's not God's way. Tell me that's not hard. Tell me that's not difficult. But we must overcome our flesh, folks. We must overcome our flesh. The harm 
he wants to keep us from is the barrenness of loneliness. And Philippians 2 teaches us that the key to satisfying and sustaining relationships is not just love, but it's a sacrificial love. The people who love humbly and unselfishly spread joy and promote humility. They promote humility. They promote humility. So we have to not only change our mind, we have to change our heart, and thereby it will change our whole being to live like Christ.